Acts 18, 1 to 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, and, uh, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they said, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and they beat him in front of the court but Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. And the next reading is 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. If you'd like to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. Verses 1 to 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and a brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank 
I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word. And we uh, thank you for this uh, uh, letter to the Corinthians. We pray that as we look at it now, that you would be helping us to um, not be distracted, to focus on uh, your word and what you're teaching us today. And uh, change and shape our hearts, we pray, that we would be people who seek to live uh, lives of holiness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. False teaching, uh, greed, immorality and division. Uh, these are some of the key uh, sins which, uh, uh, which Satan uses uh, in order to create um, problems in churches and to damage churches. Uh, there is another one, it's one which tends to fly under the, under the radar a little bit and that is spiritual pride, where a church uh, may be impressive uh, in ways that um, uh, we might uh, value, such as having good preaching, having a, a, a busy ministry program and so on, uh, but at the same time lacking in things which God values and God values even more highly things uh, such as grace and love. And it shouldn't surprise us that uh, these things happen, that there are um, problems in churches because of the very nature of the gospel itself. The gospel tells us that we are all uh, sinful people and uh, you know what they say about the, the perfect church, don't you? Um, if you find it, just make sure you don't spoil it by joining it because of, of who you are, as a, who we all are as sinful human beings. Today, we're, um, uh, we've, we're now going to start a new series. Uh, starting a series on the uh, letter of Paul to the uh, church in Corinth. And <clears throat> this is a very interesting and a very helpful church uh, for us to, to look at and, and for us to think about. Uh, because uh, present in the church in Corinth were all of those sins that I spoke of just a moment or two ago. Uh, there was greed, there was immorality, uh, there was uh, divisiveness, uh, there was uh, spiritual um, pride and not only that uh, but there was also uh, doctrinal issues. Uh, there was some people in the church who apparently were equivocating, weren't quite sure about, about the resurrection, something as important as that. But 1 Corinthians is really helpful for us because it helps us to understand um, a little bit about church. It helps us to understand uh, who we are as a church, uh, how God has created his church 
and how we ought to be living out our purpose, God's purposes rather, uh, for his church. So how about we open up our Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, we'll get into it, shall we? We'll start right at the very beginning. Uh, you know, in my day when I was at school, they taught me that when you write a letter to someone, you start the letter off by saying, by writing dear, and then you uh, state the name of the person to whom you're writing the letter. And you wait until the end of the letter before you sign off your name. So theoretically, you can read through the whole letter and not know who's written to you. Uh, well, in the first century, the protocol was to begin by stating who you are and then you would state who you're writing to, then you would wish them a blessing <coughs> and then you get down to business, the actual reason that you're writing the letter for. Uh, in verses 1 to 3, we see that this is the, the formula that Paul uses as he begins his letter. And However, he doesn't just take the custom of the day and replicate it. What he does is he, he, he does two things. He fills it with Christian content and as we'll see, he also uses it to kind of subtly introduce uh, some of the, uh, the issues, some of the problems that he will tackle later on in the letter. Uh, we see this firstly in how Paul introduces himself. In verse 1, he describes himself as Paul called to be an apostle of Christ through the will of God. Now, the word apostle is a, um, <clears throat> it comes from a Greek word which simply means sent one, someone who's been sent out. Um, in the New Testament, uh, that um, it is sometimes used in a, a general sense to refer to anyone who's been sent to do a job, uh, but specifically it came to be applied <clears throat> to those who had authority in the churches, uh, namely the, uh, the 12 disciples who had been with Jesus. That's um, <clears throat> the 12 disciples minus Judas Iscariot, but plus Matthias who replaced him. But it also includes Paul, who, as the man Saul, had dramatically met Jesus uh, on the road to Damascus. It was in Damascus where the Lord spoke to a disciple whose name was Ananias and he uh, declared to Ananias that he, he had chosen Saul to be the one whom he would send to take the gospel to the Gentiles, an apostle to the Gentiles. And so that was Paul's unique calling as an apostle. He describes himself later as, as being one who has been abnormally born as an apostle. But it means that here, he can say to the Corinthians that it was by the will of God that he was called to be an apostle. Now, what, what's the relevance of that? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> pardon me. In some of Paul's letters, he introduces himself as being an apostle. <clears throat> in some letters, he doesn't introduce himself as being an apostle, presumably because he actually doesn't need to. And it seems to me that, uh, that there is a reason why he chooses to introduce himself here at this point as being an apostle. 
And the reason, it's not because they didn't know him. I mean, they actually knew him quite well. Rather, as we'll see later on in the letter, there were some power games that were going on in the Corinthian church. There were some people who were were downplaying Paul's authority and Paul's ministry uh, in order to, uh, to promote themselves for their own selfish purposes. And so for them, those people <coughs> sitting in the congregation, when this letter is being read, uh, it would not have gone unnoticed that in the introduction Paul declares himself to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, and they would realise that Paul was making a point. But did you notice that <clears throat> this is not just a letter from Paul? See in verse 1 there? Uh, it's also from a man who is described as being Sosthenes, our brother. Now, who's he? <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> he's mentioned here, and that's the last we hear of him for the whole of the letter. No one talks about Sosthenes' letter to the Corinthians, do they? Um, no, and there's a reason for that. It seems that Paul dictated this letter and someone else did the writing. Sosthenes did the writing. Uh, I say that because at the very end of uh, 1 Corinthians, in the final greetings, Paul makes a point of saying that he has written the final greeting with his own hand. Um, implying that someone else's secretary has written uh, the, the rest of the letter, uh, that person being Sosthenes. But Sosthenes may also be someone who was, who was, who, who was already known to the Corinthian church. He's referred to as our brother. He might be someone who they knew right from the very beginning of the church. Um, one of the reasons we had Acts 18 read earlier on was to read about how the Corinthian church was formed in the first place. Uh, we read in Acts 18 that it was the Apostle Paul who preached the gospel first in Corinth. And it was there, see he went first of all to the, the Jewish synagogue to preach the gospel there. Some of the, the leaders actually became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he had to leave the synagogue and he went next door to someone else's place. And <clears throat> then eventually the, uh, the Jews um, had him <clears throat> brought up <clears throat> in court to the proconsul uh, on charges. And <clears throat> the proconsul dismissed the case... And we're told that when the proconsul dismissed the case, that they beat up, the Jews beat up a man who was the synagogue ruler whose name was Sosthenes. Now, why they beat him up? Uh, was it because he was advocating against Paul and didn't do so successfully and they were angry? Or whether he was one of the actual people who'd become a Christian? Uh, we're not told in the text, but it's interesting, isn't it? that uh, it may well be that this is the same Sosthenes who is now with Paul and is actually writing, or is a secretary, writing the letter that as Paul dictates. <clears throat> so, 
Having said who he is as the author, in verse 2, Paul now states who it is that he's writing to. Let me read verse 2. He says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. A friend of mine uh, is a gifted and godly Christian leader. And uh, when deciding where he would minister the gospel, he turned down opportunities that were given to him to lead uh, some strong, uh, solid, well-established evangelical churches uh, because instead he decided to go to a very unhealthy church uh, in a complex uh, inner city um, part of Sydney, uh, a suburb which um, I want to say there's all kinds of people that live there but I actually say no it's really the majority is it's a it's one of the suburbs that on the census uh, has one of the highest percentages of people who tick the no religion box uh, it's atheism is very strong is, is rife uh, in that particular part of the inner city of Sydney in fact he was sharing with me that um, uh, one of the people who heads up, or who was heading up at the time, a, a kind of a movement which was, let's call it the, uh, let's get rid of sc scripture being taught in schools movement, uh, was, she lived nearby. And th that's the kind of area uh, that uh, it is. A and that's why he wanted to go there, because that's exactly the kind of place where we should be going to. Uh, to preach the gospel and to build up churches. It's, it's a hard place. Corinth was also a hard place. Uh, you see, uh, let's, let's have a look at where Corinth is on the map. Has everyone got a map there in your, your outlines? I, th I think you do, don't you? Uh, you can see that um, uh, uh, there's Corinth. Look, this is, this is basically what we would call Greece. Uh, this area here, there's the Aegean Sea, the Ionian Sea, this is the Mediterranean uh, area. And what we see with Corinth is that Corinth is located on this uh, <coughs> very narrow strip of land there and uh, it's got on either side of it uh, a sea and what you can see there is that it's actually got a nice harbour on the western side and, and a nice harbour uh, also on the eastern side. Uh, the shipping traffic, uh, see Rome is over here, uh, Egypt, North Africa is down here, uh, Palestine and the Middle East and Asia Minor is over here. And there's a lot of shipping traffic that needs to move across from Rome in the west over to the east. Uh, the, the problem with um, shipping is that this area here 
uh, is quite treacherous because ships have to go around, uh, around at the bottom there and uh, head out towards the east and vice versa. But what they found is that if they came into port here, then unloaded the cargo and moved it by land over there to another ship on the eastern side, they could be spared the treachery of this shipping route and also cut off about 350 kilometres uh, from their journey as well. So uh, some of the smaller ships, they could actually put on, uh, on a trolley and wheels and actually drag it across because it's only a few kilometres uh, to get across that uh, little slither of land there where Corinth is. Uh, these days there's a, there's a canal, obviously, so you just go straight through. But what it means is that <coughs> the um, Corinth made a lot of money out of shipping, um, out of the people who own their ships, having to bring them into port, move the stuff over the other side, take it out from a port on the other side. And as a major port city, uh, it was also a, a melting pot of, of all kinds of, of people, of uh, Greeks, of, of Romans, um, Africans, um, especially Egyptians, uh, people from Asia Minor, what we'd call Turkey, uh, Jews, Arabs, uh, and so on. It was a, it was a melting pot of, of different people from different places, different races, different language groups, and so on. And uh, as I think we'll see later on in the letter this may help us to understand uh, what Paul means by speaking in tongues and the issues that were developing in the church in regards to that. They came to do business and to get rich. And of course, as in any city where there's lots of sailors, uh, there is another business which tends to thrive and uh, I guess you'd call that the oldest profession. The, um, the Greeks even had a word for an immoral lifestyle and it, it translates as a Corinthian life. If you said that someone had a Corinthian life, you're calling them immoral. A bit like uh, Californication, <laughs> I've heard that term. An immoral city, uh, it was also a place of, of idolatry uh, with with shrines and altars and temples uh, to the gods of the peoples who lived there, from all of those places, the, the gods of Rome, the gods of Egypt, the gods of, of Greece, which uh, when we get to chapters 8 and 9, we see that, that that caused some problems, even in terms of eating, because so much of the, of the meat that was on sale at the marketplace or meat that you might be served up when you go to someone's place for a meal, had already been ritually offered up to, uh, to a false god at, a, at an altar. And that was an issue that the Christians needed to, to work through. And to cap it off, uh, idolatry and sexual immorality joined forces uh, in the, the worship of the sex goddess Aphroditus, whose temple was located in Corinth. And yet, in all of this greed 
lust and idolatry, there was a church. There was a, a gathering of, of God's people in their midst. Um, verse 2 literally reads, To the church of God, the one existing in Corinth. The one existing in Corinth. I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought that in the midst of all of that, in a place such as Corinth, that there would be... But that's what God does, isn't it? That's God's business. That God actually... You see, Paul describes the, the Corinthian Christians as being, and I quote, those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Now, being sanctified and being holy, they mean very similar things, almost the same. But I don't think that Paul's wasting words here. In saying that they are sanctified, he may actually have in mind their conversion. Uh, because to sanctify means to take something which is uh, very secular, which is very ordinary, and to set that thing apart for God's purposes. Uh, in the, it's an Old Testament concept where in the Old Testament there'd be certain just utensils that would be sanctified, that would be set apart for use in the temple. What God has done here, from people from in that cosmopolitan city, from all different races and religious groups and people who have lived a Corinthian lifestyle, he has taken some of those people and he has set them apart for his purposes. And so, in doing that and joining them together, it means that they are now to live as God's holy people. God's people who are different from the world around them. Because although in verse 2 they are in Corinth, they are now also described as being in Christ Jesus. So they're in Christ Jesus and they're in Corinth. But the problem, though, is that there is still too much of Corinth in them. Uh, not just in terms of sexual immorality and greed, but also, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of spiritual pride. And it may well be that spiritual pride issue that is the reason why Paul reminds them in verse 2 that they are not independent of others. See what he says in verse 2? He says that they are together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. That is, in one sense there's no such thing as an independent church, is there? I mean, all churches are dependent upon God, but all churches are part of uh, that, that whole body of, of, of God's people uh, around the world, uh, of all people who 
call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we're part of that. And we're part of uh, that, um, that, that whole body of Christ. Now, in ancient letters, after stating who the letter was written to, uh, it was normal to bless the reader with the word rejoice. Uh, in verse 3, Paul improves on that custom. Let me read verse 3. He says, it doesn't just say rejoice, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I actually think that's a very nice summary of everything, don't you? I mean, when, when we experience, uh, when we grasp hold of God's grace to us, remember that grace means an unmerited gift. When we grasp hold of what God has done for us in Christ, then what is it that we experience? We, we experience a peace, don't we? objectively in the sense that we are now at peace with God but we also experience that well the 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 Jewish when the Jews talked about peace uh, it had that sense of completeness of, of wholeness of of wellness and when we know that we're right with God our creator then we understand who we are and for what purpose we've been created and recreated and we experience that peace which passes all understanding which can mean that we're at peace even when life is difficult and so this is what Paul uh, how Paul blesses them uh, peace grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and we see in there something of the relationship between the Father and the Son uh, in that as well. Now, although they had this peace, <clears throat> we'd have to say that not everything was entirely peaceful in the Corinthian church. Uh, there were, as we'll see later on in the letter, there were actually some members of the church who were taking other members of the church to court and suing them for money imagine that imagine if you know someone sitting down the back there is actually tomorrow morning is going to meet someone up the front here outside the court and they're going to be in court suing one another you know can you imagine the sort of the the vibe in church services <laughs> the, the tension there well that was actually going on and yet Paul, nevertheless, is thankful for them. Have a look at verse 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, uh, in all, and I would say in all word and in all knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any gift. Say something about that in a moment. As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Part of the backstory of this letter 
is that in their gatherings, um, people were being selfish. You know, we see when they, when they met for meals that some people ate well while others um, went without. Uh, but also that they were using their God-given uh, abilities in, in selfish ways for their own benefit and not for building others up, not for the benefit of the church as a whole. Um, when we get to chapters 12 to 14, we, we find, we'll deal with that. And it's also interesting in regards to some of the issues uh, related to the charismatic movement. But here in that regard, it's helpful to note that in verse 7, that the word spiritual has been inserted into the NIV text as it's been inserted into many of the modern translations. Uh, it's not there in the original. The original simply says, therefore you do not lack any gift. Now I can understand why they've done that. It's an, it's an interpretative thing. Um, some of the older translations don't do it. The King James Version doesn't do it. It leaves it uh, as the original says so that we, the reader, can interpret what kind of gifts that it's talking about. And I, th I think it's significant because it's not that the Corinthian church possesses every possible spiritual gift uh, as some people understand those gifts, but rather that in the gracious gift of Christ that they lack nothing. Because that is the gift that Paul has been speaking about. Uh, grace means an unmerited gift. And so in Christ, they lack nothing. They lack no good gift. The question is, how can Paul be so sure about them? How can Paul be so sure that they, in fact, have uh, embraced the gospel and that they are, in fact, uh, God's people? In verses 5 and 6, we're told that they have been enriched in word and in knowledge. And they have been rich in the testimony about Jesus, which has been confirmed in their lives. You see that? It's been confirmed in them. What does it mean that the testimony has been confirmed in them? Some people say that, well, that's because they exercise certain spiritual gifts, that you know that the testimony, that they did miracles and so on. But how do you know if someone is truly a Christian? Well, it's by the fact that they confess Jesus, it's word, and it's also a changed life, isn't it? Uh, the, it's by their fruit that you shall know them. Now, Paul knew these people, well, some of them at least, and Paul knew what some of them were like before they became Christians. Paul knew that they, the church was riddled with problems 
But that's because they were a work in progress. For what was their starting point? Their starting point was Corinth. With all of the immorality, the idolatry, the greed, that everything I've described in the description of Corinth, that was where they were coming from. And so you'd kind of expect that there's going to be some problems in the church, wouldn't you? But come with me to chapter 6. And here in chapter 6, Paul is he's rebuking them uh, for some of the stuff that's going on in their church. But he, he, wants to, um, he wants to move them forward. And listen to what he says in verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. These are the kind of people who are in the church. The emphasis there is, this is what you were past tense but you have been washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god and so the gospel has changed their lives and this is what paul means when he says that the 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 testimony the testimony of christ has been confirmed in you by that changed life But the reason that Paul wrote the letter is because he wants them to keep on changing, to keep on being uh, being holy. And yet, as they do, he assures them that they are not alone. Come with me back to chapter 1, to verses 8 and 9. He says in verse 8 of God that he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. See that? There's no, no reason to feel overwhelmed that God actually will strengthen you and enable you to keep on trusting him, keep on working at your godliness uh, until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some churches these days run services that they call messy church. You ever heard of that? Some of you heard of messy church? Uh, I, I don't know what messy church is, actually. I presume it means fairly casual and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, but... Um, I reckon that Corinth was the original messy church in a very real sense of the word. A church leader, um, a couple of minister friends of mine were talking with one another one day and uh, one of the ministers says to my friends, he said that there were no problems in his church. Not one. Zero problems in his church. 
And my friend uh, replied by saying, what a strange church. <laughs> Turned out that there were big problems in his church, like the fact that the organist was having an affair with the church warden and so on, but <clears throat> he wasn't dealing with that. It was all very peaceful and so there was no problems in his church, so he reckoned. And what a strange church that would be if there were no problems in that church. And, and that would be strange for us as well. Uh, because unless we all become perfect and then make sure we don't invite anyone to join us and close the doors so that no one can join us, then we will always have issues. Issues of, 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 of sin that need to be worked through um, so that we will live as God's holy people. That is the biblical expectation of church until the day that the Lord Jesus returns. The great news here is that God will strengthen us. Uh, God will keep us. God will enable us. Uh, not because we're faithful, but rather because he is faithful to those whom he has called. And the important thing is not that we is that we actually identify and we work through those problems in a biblical way. And that's what we'll be looking at uh, as we work through 1 Corinthians over coming weeks and months. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for church. We thank you that in your kindness that you call sinful people into fellowship with yourself through your Son. Father, we uh, pray for ourselves as a church that we wouldn't be um, complacent about sin, but rather that we would be seeking to um, keep on changing, to keep on working on our holiness, to be more the people that you would have us be. We pray that as we look at this book of 1 Corinthians that um, issues would, be, uh, would arise for us uh, and uh, that we would be able to deal with things uh, so that you would be honoured uh, in our midst and we pray in Jesus name Amen